So we're going to, this evening, wrap up this series that we've been going through over these last few weeks um, about church life last week. Um, we started the first part in this two-part sermon on the end times, the church and the end times. And if you remember from last week, we looked at what Peter's guidance was to the church body, to us, about how we should engage with the end times. And we looked at Second Peter chapter 3, and we took out some of the things there that Peter was, was telling us about holiness and godliness and how that should be part of what our lives as the church should be like. So this evening we're going to look at what Jesus says to us about the end times. And for that we're actually going to read Matthew chapter 24. Um, so the thing about this particular chapter is it's very contentious. Um, and there are people who have different understandings of what actually is going on here, what Jesus is actually talking about um, as, he's, as he goes through this and as he speaks to his disciples, and we'll unpack that a little bit later on. But the context of what's going on here is Jesus had just had an interaction with the, with the leaders of the temple, with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He had just had an interaction with them, and if you look at chapter 23, if you just glance there, there's actually what, what they call the seven woes that Jesus said. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And he says it seven times. And he unpacks his dissatisfaction with them. And Jesus then leaves the temple and is actually very disappointed. At the end of, of, of chapter 23, Jesus actually laments over Jerusalem. He, he's sorrowful about how... Um, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the leadership there of the, of the Israelites, of the Jews, how they actually handled worship and how they led people. And so Jesus, as he leaves the temple, he's very disappointed. And then he goes um, and he, he goes and he sits there on the Mount of Olives. And while he's sitting there, um, the disciples come and they ask him, what was it that you were actually talking about? But before that, they say something to him that's actually quite remarkable. While Jesus is disappointed, they go away. They actually make reference to the temple. And they say, wow, look at the, this glorious building. And in, in Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21, they actually unpack more about about what the disciples actually say about the splendor of the temple. And then as he's, he's now um, has this interaction with the disciples, it's actually quite interesting what's going on in the background there. So the temple was actually a, a, a very, very important place for the Jews. So there's a, an image of the temple complex, and it was a a place of splendor. I think if it was still standing today, it would actually be one of the wonders of the world. Um, it was about 500 meters long by 400 meters wide. The walls were about five meters thick. Um, the section on the red section there is the section where Jesus overturned the, the tables of the money changers because the entrance to the complex was over on that side. People came in, they paid, and they, 
they mikvahed, they cleansed themselves, and then they could enter. And this was actually an amazingly built structure. This here is an artist's impression of what the inside of the temple could have looked like. So the inside of the, of the actual sanctuary, which is that section there, um, was actually built with white marble. And the ceiling was about 47 meters high. So that's maybe, what, four, five times as high as ours is. Ours is quite high. And the walls, as you can see on that image there, the walls were plated with gold panels, solid gold panels. Um, and so all of this marble here, all of the gold work was really, really good craftsmanship. This is not, I mean, when we think about ancient things, we think, how good could these guys really have built this structure? This was magnificently built. And so when Jesus said to them, what he says there, um, at the start of verse 20, 24, where he, see, where he says, you see all of these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be one stone left upon another. All of it will be, will be cast down. That was a serious thing for a Jewish teacher to say. It was almost as though, and some people would have heard what he said as being blasphemous. There were people who swore by the temple. They say, I, like, you, like some people would say, I swear by my mother's eyes or whatever. People would swear by the temple. Um, so the temple was an extremely significant place for the Jews. All of the decision-making that re revolved around Israel happened there. And so Jesus, he makes this statement. And then the disciples, they wonder afterwards, why did Jesus say what he said about the temple come falling, coming falling down? This magnificent building, this magnificent structure. And then they ask him two questions. And they ask him, the first question is, when is this going to happen? When is the temple going to fall? Um, in verse 3. And then the second question they ask him is, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And then Jesus answers them in a very particular way. Um, he answers them in a way that we call Jewish apocalyptic poetry. So when we read it, and I think this is what makes it so hard for us to understand, when we read it, it kind of leaves you at the end of reading it with more questions than answers. Because this way of explaining that a Jewish teacher would use wasn't clear. He didn't give a very clear timeline. He didn't give very clear instructions. It was an idea that he was trying to convey. And I want to try and explain this to you because it's helpful in understanding apocalyptic literature in the Bible. So there's a picture there that we all have recognized immediately, one that we've seen on, on many occasions. Now, what's interesting about that particular picture is there are two things. There's a foreground and there's a background. Now, in the picture, in the front there, there are those little flowers that's called the, 
the Cape Beach Daisy on the beach there found all along our coast. And in the background, there's obviously Table Mountain. Now, both of those things are in the same frame. It's on the same picture. Now, what this Jewish teaching does is, it is a way of telling you about what's in the foreground while also telling you about what's in the background. And there's this, it draws you in, but there's this confusion that remains. Are you actually talking about the things that's going to happen now, shortly? Or are you talking about the things that are, that are distant? And so in the way that this picture, I think, was taken somewhere in Malkpus or Bloberg, in the way that for you to get from Bloberg to Cape Town is going to take you about 50 kilometers, and you need to go through Tableview and Mulnerton and Brooklyn and Maitland and Salt River and then into town, there's so much that needs to be encountered on your way to get to the destination, even though it looks so close. Similarly so in, in this way of understanding apocalyptic literature in the scripture, there are things that are explained that seem close by when they are actually far away, and there are things that are explained that are in the distance that seem like it could be close by. And this is what Jesus is doing here in how he's explaining to them what the end times is going to be like. And so Jesus answers these questions, when will the temple fall? And what is the sign of your coming in the same breath as he's, he's answering both those questions at the same time in the details that he's giving, but at the end of it, you still seem kind of confused in the way that you might feel confused about the way that I'm explaining this to you now. And so Jesus answers, when will this temple fall? And he answers it in verse 34. He says, it's going to happen in this generation. Now, in biblical language, when they speak about a generation, they're actually speaking about 40 years. 40 years is approximately the length of a generation. And so Jesus answers that first question quite straightforward. He says it's going to happen within this generation. In your age, you are probably going to see it happen. And so it happened actually historically. Um, historians say that it happened actually 37, in the region of about 37 years after Jesus said it would happen. So this is one of the prophecies that Jesus made that actually came true. It was very accurate. And so Jesus tells them that it's going to happen within your generation. And so it actually did happen, and the temple did fall. And here's a picture of um, those big stones that you see on the bottom there. Those were actually excavated. All of this was covered up till there. Over the years, development happened. And so these stones, you can see the size of the stones here. They were huge that were formed part of the temple, of the temple complex, and that's all that happened. And so historically speaking, in the year 70 AD, the temple came down. It was demolished by a Roman general named Titus, and he ransacked the temple, and he took all of the gold and the jewels back to Rome. There's actually something that still stands today. 
in what they call the Arch of Titus. And you can see here in this carving, there is the menorah that would have stood in the temple. And this is something that you'll find in Rome. Now, what's interesting about what happened when they demolished the temple was in that fine place with all of this gold plaiding um, up on the side of the walls. What happened was when the, when the Romans attacked Israel, the Jews actually ran into the temple complex because it was a, a very solid building. The Romans followed them in and they set fire to the inside of the complex. And as the fire burnt, the inside, these golden plates melted. And the gold ran into the seams of the building. And this um, Roman general, Titus, wanted all of that gold. And so he told his troops to remove those stones, stone by stone, to get all of the gold out of the complex. And so that's why... Not one stone was left upon another in the way that Jesus prophesied. And Jesus then describes, as he goes on, what the end times... Grant, you can actually drop that slide. You can. So Jesus then carries on and he describes what the end time would be like. And he describes it as birth pains. Now, all of our mothers here... When they were having us, they had what, what, what we call contractions. And as you get closer to the time when your mother is actually going to give birth to you, those contractions get closer and closer. Birth pains is another word for contractions. And so Jesus says, as you start seeing these things, as you start seeing the persecution, the lawlessness, he speaks of the in verse 8, False prophets coming, seeing yourself being delivered up and betrayed. As those things get closer and closer together, you will know that you're getting closer and closer to the time that I'm going to return. And then Jesus gives them instruction about what believers should do. And he uses parables as we see there. Firstly, we see in verse 32 he speaks about this parable of the fig tree. Now, all of them knew that the fig tree follows, as all trees, there are some trees outside there on the pavement there, some fruit trees. These trees follow reliable growth cycles that relate to seasons. And so it's a reliable indicator for you to look at this fruit tree and know what's going to happen next with the fruit tree. And you can work according to that thing as a calendar. And so what Jesus is saying there, we can also trust that when we start seeing these signs that he speaks about, we can know for sure, in the same way that we know for sure when the fig tree will give fruit, that we are coming closer to the time. That's one of the ways that Jesus is answering something that's happening close by and something that's happening distant that brings about some confusion in our minds. And then he cautions his followers to be ready for an unexpected coming in verse 36. And he uses the time of Noah as a reference. And he highlights the kind of that in the same way that in the time of Noah, there were many people who missed the boat. At that time, there will also be many people who will miss the boat. 
And then as he rounds off what he talks about, it's followed by the parable of the master and the servant. We'll chat about that in a minute. So to recap, Jesus tells the disciples three things that relate to the end time. He tells them when the temple would be destroyed, and that actually happened. He tells them what the signs would be of his coming. And he says that we don't know when that will happen precisely. Not even Jesus knows when that will happen. Only the Father knows. Now, in closing, what do we learn from Jesus about the end times here? What, what must we as the church be found doing in the end times? I want to list three things for us that we take from what Jesus says here. The first thing is this. We must take note of the things that are happening around us. That's the first thing. Jesus says it on a number of occasions that we must not be deceived. He says, many will come in my name. Many will be deceived. And he says that over and over. He says it in verse 4. He says it in verse 5, in 11, in 24, and then he also mentions it in the, in the lesson of the fig tree there. He says we must watch what's going on around us. Take note of what's happening around you. Last week we shared with you something about um, a particular bill that Parliament is considering changing, um, and so we shared that with you. And that's some of the things that we do in watching and taking note of what's going on around us. Because these things not only affect us, but we affect the work that God has given, for, given to us to steward. The second thing is this. We must be part of the plan to proclaim the gospel to the whole world that he speaks about there in verse 14. I think that's very important because what's interesting about that is he says that at the end of that will be the time when he will come. He will come when the gospel has been proclaimed to the whole world. So that's the second thing. And the third thing is this. I think we must watch over our relationship with God. And we must do that so that we will always be ready to meet him. In the parable that Jesus speaks about there, about the, the master and the servant in the last few verses there, Jesus speaks about the wicked servant who took advantage of the fact that the master delayed his coming. And so he didn't steward the duties that he was given by the master. He actually wasted his time. And so Jesus then speaks also about the wise servant. And he says the wise servant is actually blessed because he is found carrying out the duties that the master has given him. So those are the three things that we take away. Watch and pray about what's going on around us. Be part of his plan to spread the gospel to the whole world, and then look after our relationship with God. Now, Jesus wants us to trust that all of history is in his hands. Even what's happening now in our country, in other countries in the world, all of this is in his hand. And what's more is, 
prophetically he speaks about these things so he knows about the difficulties and the challenges that we are going through even now. And I think we must know that through his death and his resurrection, that message means for us that there is even, there is no power, there is no um, force of evil that is going to have the last say in the world. Jesus will have the last say, even during this pandemic, even during this difficult time that we face now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you that you hold everything in the palm of your hand. We thank you that you even know about our futures that you even know about how this pandemic is going to come to an end. And so, Father, as we face these next few weeks that might not encompass us coming together again as a large group, we ask that you would be with each one of us, that you would continue to walk with each one of us, that you would continue to shepherd and lead each one of us, that we would all know your rod and your staff that comfort us, that we would all know the green pastures and the living waters that you would lead us by that would nourish us. So, Father, I ask that you would come and be with us, that you would encircle us as the mountains encircle Jerusalem, that your hand of protection and blessing would rest on us because we eagerly desire to see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I think I took longer than I should have. I'm sorry, Josh. <laughs> so guys, as you go, um, just know that if we look at what happened the last time, we actually were online for about six to eight weeks. So prepare yourself for something similar to that. And know that what we are exploring now is not something that's going to carry on forever. So I hope that you have some excitement about that. We want to try something new for these next possibly six to eight weeks until we can come together again in this way. Bless you guys.